long time. Uh, it's uh, inspired by about f- uh, 40 authors, including farmers and fishermen, poets and priests and prophets. It was uh, written in three continents, uses three languages, and uh, I encourage you to, there's some amazing bits in there's romantic comedies, there are tragedies, there's action adventure, musicals and documentaries. It's an amazing compilation of stories. And we're going to turn to one of those, and it's in John, uh, one of the Gospels, one of the testimonies about Jesus. And I want to read from chapter 20, uh, both as a a bit of a a setting for next week, but also in, in all that God is doing amongst us and stirring in us. So early on the first day, so John 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, this is John's narrative. Peter's slow, basically, John is saying. I got there first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said these things to her. In many ways, in these 66 books, in this narrative of of so many different people and stories and incidents stretching over about a thousand years, this is the focal point. We've heard it that the scriptures had spoken of this, but it's a little bit of a time for the penny to drop. And the invitation and the statement of Jesus here, I love it, I'm ascending to my Father and your father, my God, and your God. Jesus 
opens the way. For this story in John's gospel, so much of the gospel and indeed the the letters that John continues reminds us that the overarching theme is in these things that it reveals that God is love. In amongst and through all the different titles and names that there are and descriptions for God, at least 400 of wonderful counselor, mighty God, of healer, redeemer, powerful, good, light, life, and so forth. The one that holds all of those together is that God is love, the truest and most central of all of those titles and descriptions. Now, I know you know that God is love. But sometimes that we have a hard time believing that, moving from the knowledge to the deep-seated awareness. You see, our experience in life can sometimes be painful and difficult. We are always needing to come back to the Scriptures with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to be reminded of this central fact. God is love. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I talk of God, do you immediately think of God as the God of love? Trying to reinforce and, and reiterate that this is the fullest description of who he is. If there's something else that comes to your mind as you think of him. Maybe that is something that needs to be supplanted by God loves you. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about God? From that conception that God doesn't just love you, he actually likes you. That God doesn't just love you, he does. But he likes you. Sometimes that's an even harder thing to swallow. He's especially fond of you. 1 John, a disciple that Jesus loved, said it in chapter 4. And we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in God lives in love, lives in God and God in them. or, Or that famous verse from earlier in the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. Love. Showing us the full extent of that love. What does love look like? It looks like this in Jesus' story. It looks like Jesus carrying a 300 pound, or if you want to go metric, 136 kilogram cross for two-thirds of a mile down via Dolorosa for someone else's sin. That's how much he loves. Allowing someone to nail you to a cross with a seven-inch spike for someone else's sin That's who he is. That's what he did. You mean the cross to Jesus. His love for you is abounding. We catch a glimpse of the enormity and power of that love in human parents. 
I don't know if you've seen the film Lion. Maybe. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful film. Uh, Nicole Kidman is one of the, uh, the stars, as, uh, and Dev Patel. It's the story about uh, of how Nicole Kidman and her husband adopted uh, an Indian boy that had got lost in Calcutta. He'd got lost because he'd got on a train at night when his brother was doing some work. And the doors were locked and the train set off and traveled 1,600 miles away from his village. He was just five. It's based on a true story. I'm not going to tell you how it ends because it spoils it, isn't it? get accused of doing that often. But there's one scene uh, where he meets... His adoptive mother, played by Nicole uh, Kidman, and she says uh, she must. Uh, she she used to wish that she'd had her own. Uh, sorry, uh, the the Dev character had, had was causing trouble, and and he was really a bit insecure and wondering uh, why this uh, Nicole Kidman character, his adoptive mother, would put up with him and how she must wished for her own children because of all the trouble and hardship he and another adoptive brother had caused her and were causing her. And the character replies to him, looking at him in the eyes and says this, I could have had my own children, but I chose you. Your dad and I decided to give someone like you a chance. Human parents have finite love, and sometimes they fail. But God, the Father, loves us perfectly, loves you eternally, and that he can't give up on us. He loves us too much. You see, that love is not based on who we are, but who he is. When we succeed, God says, I love you. When we fail, God says, I love you. When we doubt, God says, I love you. The cross and the resurrection are all about the God who will not give up on us. God who is willing to go to hell and back. God who extends grace to the very people who put him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they do. And God's love prevails. In this story from uh, John's Gospel, it's early in the morning after Jesus has been buried in the tomb uh, of the Sabbath, of the Passover. And for the followers of Jesus, they are awake in despair. It's game over. Hope is gone. It's dead and buried. We hear of Mary, who stands outside the tomb crying. Now, each of us, when we've read this, have read what psychologists call hindsight bias. Because I suspect most of you know what happens next. We know that we get to Jesus, risen. But the challenge of the story, and just where I want us to pause for a moment, is to try and suspend hindsight balance of of when we know the outcome of an event, because we tend to assume the the ending is inevitable. If we can enter into the moment of Mary weeping at the tomb, we understand something of the greater impact of the story. See, when we just jump to the end, the element of surprise is not there. 
It's like Peter being called by Jesus to get out of the boat and we know that he walks on water. But in that moment of stepping out, it's a risk. And my goodness, what will happen? Of course, everyone sinks normally. Jesus going to the cross. We know about Easter Sunday. But until that moment, everyone who went to the cross was crushed and dies and is buried and gone. Mary didn't expect. See, there was no precedent, no category, zero expectation. She is at the tomb weeping. There's only one reason to grieve. She's there with the spices, part of the tradition to be involved in the embalming process and to honor the dead. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? Scholars and and those who write and and consider these things deeply have, have suggested different options of trying to understand why. They infer that the resurrected body of Jesus looked unfamiliar. And we, we know that that's a characteristic sometimes on the road to Emmaus. The disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Was that why she didn't recognize him? Uh, the less generous commentators uh, ascribe it to the fact that she's a woman. Maybe the more traditional, older, uh, kind of, of previous centuries. Or maybe some have, have suggested that she's, it's early in the morning and she's still a bit bleary-eyed, sleepy. Or maybe the most obvious is that her eyes were full of tears. She couldn't see clearly. Experiencing intense emotional pain. But don't forget there's no category in Mary's mind for what was about to happen. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. And I'll go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. What a moment. Mary goes from the agony of defeat To the thrill of victory in that moment, that word. She never thought she would hear that voice again speaking her name, Mary. God knows your name. He's fond of you. That we need a faith. With our name on it, not my name or, or your name, or sorry, not, not um, Phil's name or your wife's name or your parents' name, but your name, to know that he knows you by name. And as she heard that, that name being uttered, the love expressed Mary, she turned towards him and cries out in Aramaic, Raboni, which means teacher. It's the most memorable moment in her life. We don't know much about what happens to her after this. Church history is quite limited. But this story is remarkable because she does the most 
uh, she has the most amazing distinction. She's the first person to witness the resurrection of Jesus. And is such forever, to phrase it like this, the apostle to the apostles. The first one to have encountered the risen Jesus and to testify, he has risen. She goes to the others, I've seen the Lord. And she told them uh, uh, that he'd said these things to her. Remember, she's the most, she's the leading actor in the most important scene in all of Scripture. The whole of Scripture pointing to this most uh, profound moment in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here on that first morning of the week, the most unlikely candidate. Why? Well, she comes to the region of, uh, of Magdala. She carries it in her name. But we're told in Mark that she has a troubled background. <laughs> She had seven demons, not the sort from horror films, but but those which were afflicting and robbing. Maybe we could say it like this. Maybe we could say at least she had seven issues or seven dysfunctions or seven unshakable problems, seven mistakes that she she couldn't get rid of, broken in seven places, seven being a a number in Jewish thought of, of of kind of, of, of completeness. In other words, Mary was completely dysfunctional. One of those people too often that have been given up on by everyone else, but not by God. See, God has this wonderful way of weaving people into his story with his amazing grace. The least likely person. The most overlooked and forgotten and excluded And seemingly least has been worked into the most pivotal moment in the whole history of the world. The story for each and every one of us. Isn't God amazing? That he chooses at that moment Mary Magdalene. With so many dysfunctions and problems and brokenness. But right at that moment, the saving resurrection of power is for these, for her, for us, that this is happening. What defines you? When you think of your name, your self-image, when you know what people, well, you know, you think you know what people say about you. What title, what description, what incident, what episode in your past, or even present, almost eclipses, supersedes. God knows your name and is fond of you. Whenever I think of of people like this, I, I think of a number of people I've had the privilege of walking with and And helping discover Jesus. I wanted Marilyn uh, to tell the story of Darren. God loves him. The story of someone I I knew. She became a single parent at 15. Dropped out of school. The person that had fathered the child in a ditch in a park. Didn't want to know. Her friends abandoned her. Said, oh, you've blown it. Even her grandparents, who were the most stable in her life, she was terrified were going to say, 
Who are you? You've blown your life. Her divorced father, her particular dad, had told her again and again, what a waste of life you are. What a no-hoper. And as she discovered that God, uh, that, that she'd become pregnant, and she was going to have a child, she didn't want to, to terminate that child, but she went through the, her entire pregnancy thinking, God's going to judge me, this child is not going to be born healthy. It's what I deserve. And one day, I received a phone call to say, could I christen her child? And I had to say, no, but yes, if you know what I mean. We don't baptize babies. But I said, we're so glad that you've contacted because we want to dedicate and thank the Lord for your child. And about 18 months later, as the church community had embraced her and welcomed and supported her and provided some nappies and some, pa- some um, babysitting and above all, the love of God, she became a follower of Jesus herself. And the story of Grace outworking in her particular story of her coming to that point of hearing Jesus call her name And to know that God was fond of her, even her. The reason this is the heart of the gospel is because there is so much brokenness. Of civil war, of genocide, of of abuse and bullying, bullying, of poverty, of pain. And of course it breaks the heart of God. And into the midst of that mire and morass and misery. Thank the Lord that the healing of God comes. Who brings hope. See, most of us have got a few painful experiences that sometimes we allow to define us. Things done by us or done to us. That so much of our life is characterized In reaction to that brokenness, defined by brokenness, defined by doubt or hurt or shame or pain or anger or bitterness or fear. And so often our our lives then become a result of that defining moment or series of events that our attempts are trying to heal that hurt, to erase that pain, to solve the problems, to fill the void with whatever it would happen to be, serial relationships Losing ourselves in overspending and materialism. Of relying on on alcohol or other addictive substances. It doesn't work. The gospel says that we all have brokenness. But that does not have to define us. However it is and whatever it is for us is real. I can't change the facts of your life. But this story and the gospel says, but the future can be changed. It's never too late to become the person you were made to be. That as Mary, broken Mary Magdalene, 
meets Jesus, there is someone who changes your future. It's never too late with Jesus to be the person you might have been. Why? Because the tomb is empty. It's empty. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, the word impossible was removed from vocabulary. Rebecca's got it on a t-shirt this morning. Everything is possible. The empty tune means this. It's not over. It's never over, ever. The central fact of history is the central fact of our lives, if we will let it be, that changes the game for us. It's not that we celebrate resurrection on one day of a year coming up in April, but actually that the other 364, that we, li- we aren't to live just as Jesus still on the cross, suffering and dying, though that is what he did. Something needs to change. We also celebrate resurrection every day because God is in the resurrection business. Resurrection of res- relationships, of dreams, Of the personality and the person that died a long time ago. But with God it is possible again. For those of us who have been baptized. It's a wonderful moment. But it's also a symbolic event. That as we die and go under the water. We die to self and rise up into what? The new life in Christ Jesus. A new definition. A new horizon. A new day. A new normal. A new chapter. A new story. Resurrected Jesus. Problem and brokenness are not our primary definition. Jesus is. We're no longer defined by what we've done wrong, but what Jesus has done right. Second Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God says, I will transfer your sin into my account. Paid in full. Finished. Great news. Brokenness. Sin dealt with. Half the story. Paul says, and the transfer of his righteousness to us. Not what we do for God, but what God has done for us. We're asking each and every one of us to be courageous and bold in the coming weeks and have an opportunity to invite someone, invite more than one, to what? To a series of events, yes, but to what? To Jesus, the resurrected one, the one in whom God has All his favor resting. The one who is risen. In whom nothing is impossible. The one who is able to change the story and narrative. Of every person's life. Resurrection matters. Again and again we need to recapture that perspective. In our own story. But in the motivation of why do we do it? Because he is the life, the resurrection 
and the life, the one who changes everything. See, Jesus just didn't die to make bad people good. He died to bring dead people back to life. It's an amazing faith and hope and belief that we have. The power of God exhibited to Mary on that very first day that is continually enacted and realized and shapes us. What a faith. What a belief that we've just shared. What a powerful mindset and heart set to know that he's fond. He's more than fond. He loves you. You're not defined by labels other than you're a child of God. Complete in him. In him. And he is in you. I was listening to the Today Today program yesterday morning and dear old John Humphreys summed up a question which I thought was slightly ironic. He said, what what are we going to worry about next? If you listen to Today program on Radio 4, it depresses every morning because the world's about to end by 12 o'clock every day. And I'm not making light of any of those situations because they are deep and severe and challenging. But that little glimmer of a hope, a little bit of a glimmer some days of the week when they have a little thought for the day and a little Christian voice occasionally comes on and points to the resurrection and life. What an amazing gift and blessing truth that we live in, that as we encounter people in prison or in U55 or Connect Cafe or in your workplace or in wherever it happens to be, your neighbor, we know and are held by the one who is good. As our series starts next week of called Unashamed, of of living through the challenge and the pain of circumstances in life, the backstop that isn't negotiated away, is that he is risen. The truth, as we celebrated Tina's life and as as she spoke her eulogy, she said, thank you, Jesus. Not even death conquers anymore. Hallelujah. Henry, let's come up. going to sing the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. My chains are gone. I've been set free. If that seems a contradiction, if that, if that seems to, you know, we sing it in theory, but you know your heart. We come back to Jesus like Mary, 
maybe grieving, maybe even hopeless, in despair. But the Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. So let us be defined afresh by Jesus. Fully and completely. Expansively. No longer tagged and labeled by something other than the love of God. Would you stand with me? God, no. 
someone who's been uh, who's blind and uh, and Jesus is the healer but in this particular episode it's it's one of those slightly curious things Jesus has done does that he's Jesus spat into the man's eyes put his hands on him and Jesus asked do you see anything and the man who was blind looked up and said I I see people and they look like trees walking around. But once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And the basic of that is that nothing is impossible for Jesus. But the way I, I sometimes interpret that, hold on to it, is in this pivotal moment in the gospel about belief. Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus clearly? Do you know he loves you? Do you know he died for you? Or is it still a little bit, you kind of see something, it's partial. Jesus loves to give sight to each one of us, to know him with certainty and clarity, to see everything clearly. If there's, if there's that experience at the moment that there's things that are clouding, we're a bit like Jesus, we want to pray for you that you would see clearly, that your sight would be restored to see him. Or to pray the power of God into a circumstance which is seeming to shield, to cloud, to hide. The Lord loves us and wants us to know that, to see him clearly. We're going to sing a song, uh, No longer a slave, I'm a child of God.